I want to begin by asking this question. Where do you plan to be 100 years from now? Now, you might think that is an absurd question. After all, 100 years from now, in all probability, we will be in eternity. And I suspect, unless we have an infant or two here that might be here in 100 years, for the most part, all of us will have long since gone on to our eternal reward. But just think about it. Where will you be 100 years from now? Somewhat of a sobering thought. When I begin to reflect upon my own life, one of the things that stands out to me is this. My time here upon this earth will soon be up. I guess in the realm of golf, sometimes we talk about playing the front nine and the back nine. For me, in my life at this particular juncture, I have made the turn. And I'm, I'm really on the back nine. I mean, that's just the way it is. My life will soon be over. And for many of us, we could probably echo similar sentiments. I want us to think for a moment or two about what is recorded in Luke 16 as we contemplate the theme, my time is almost up. The first thing that you and I need to understand and appreciate is that of our own mortality. When I think about mortality, what stands out to me is the fact that at some point in time in history, we're going to pass from this life. Hebrews 9.27 should be a jolt to all of us. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this cometh the judgment. Now I know that there are a lot of people that do everything that they can to stay young, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to look young, to feel young, nothing wrong with trying to act young. But the bottom line is this. Try as we may, our bodies are running down and wearing out. Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 how the outward man is wearing out and yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Life is very brief. As a matter of fact, the psalmist tells us that the days of our years may be 70. It may be the case that we live to be 80 years of age. But he said, it is soon cut off and we fly away. That's why in verse 12 of that same chapter in Psalm 90, he said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Here's what Job said. Man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. In Job 14 verse 1. And then also James asked this question, what is your life? It is even as a vapor that appears for a little while, and then, he said, it vanishes away. There are a lot of people in our world today, they live as if they're going to be here forever. And sometimes we get fooled into thinking that we're going to be here on planet Earth forever and ever, and that's just not the case. <clears throat> I think about how every day, the obituary section in the newspaper is replete with any number of people. And you can check the obituary section every day this week. And one of the things that will stand out 
is that both the old and the young die. We need to understand that this life is fleeting. And we need to come to terms with our own mortality. In Luke 16, we read about two individuals. These two men were on the opposite ends of the economic spectrum of life. One was rich and one was poor. One had everything, one had nothing. And yet, there was a sense of commonality among them both. And that is, the Bible says that they both died. Note, if you would, what it said in verse 22. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. You see, both lived and yet both died. And unless Jesus comes again in our lifetime, whether we like it or not, we will face the sting of death. So our mortality, but then also there's something else that you and I need to think about. And this has to do with our memory. Because what's going to, once, what's going to live on is our eternal soul. And packaged within that immortal soul is our memory. How do I know that my memory will live on? How do I know that when you and I step outside this physical veil of existence, that our mind will go with us? Well, note if you would what is said in verse 25. In verse 25, Abraham said to the rich man, Son, remember. Remember that you in your lifetime received good things and Lazarus evil things. And so what is ultimately going to go with us into the next realm of existence is our memory. You and I are going to take the thoughts from the past, our activities from the past, into the next realm of existence. Here's a question that maybe all of us ought to answer. What are you going to be thinking about in eternity? In other words, when you and I step outside this physical life, and we're in eternity, what's going to, what's going to be running through our mind? What are we going to be thinking about? After all, we're going to have eternity to think about what we did here on this earth. Let me just suggest what those who are righteous will have the opportunity to reflect upon. First of all, when I think about the righteous, that is the godly, I think about having the opportunity to reflect upon the satisfaction of service in the kingdom of God. There are a lot of people in eternity as we speak. And I suspect if we had the opportunity to interview those people, to sit down and maybe just ask them some questions about their lifetime here on planet earth and their service in the kingdom of God, that none of them would ever say, you know what, I regretted serving the Lord. I can't, I can't even imagine somebody saying that. Now the Bible talks about in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10 that God is not unrighteous to forget our work and labor of love. When you work in the kingdom of God, it ought to be a labor of love. Everything that you do for the cause of Christ, 
whether it be your work for the Lord, your worship to the Lord, it ought to be undergirded by love. It ought to be because you want to do it, because you love to do it. It's something that you desire to do. And so the righteous, out on the plains of eternity, they have the opportunity to just bask in the satisfaction of service, of knowing that they served the Lord, that they did their very best. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew 25. When he talked about those that had been entrusted with certain things in this world. And he said on that final day, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I just think about the righteous in eternity, in that realm known as paradise, in the bosom of Abraham. Thinking about how they had, they had been a good and faithful servant of the Lord. There's a second thing that I believe the righteous will think about. And that is the souls that they help to save. Now I understand that Jesus is the one that saves. After all, it's His blood that washes away all of our sins according to Acts 22.16. But there are a lot of people that will be in eternity because of your influence. They'll be in that place that we call paradise, or when Jesus comes and after the judgment, they'll be in heaven. And they'll be there because of you, because you had an impact on their life. Imagine if you can, reflecting back over your life in eternity, and thinking about how you molded and trained your children, how you brought them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. How you tried to live the right kind of example before them. What about your friends and neighbors? Think about that friend or neighbor or family member that you sat down across the kitchen table and you studied the Bible with. And you took them to the church building or maybe to the pond and you baptized them into Christ. When Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, he asked this question. What is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For you are our hope and joy. Paul made a difference in the lives of some of the people who lived in Thessalonica. When he wrote to the church at Thessalonica in chapter 1 at verse 9, of his first letter, or in his first letter. He talked about how they had turned to God from idols. Here were people that maybe had been steeped in pagan idolatry, and yet they had turned to the one true living God. Solomon said, He that wins souls is wise. When we step out into eternity, what we need to reflect upon is there are probably others following in our footsteps. And hopefully and prayerfully, when we get out into eternity, we'll think about the souls that we had a part in saving for the Lord. But there's a third thing that I think about. And that is the sweetness of the Savior. Jackie Gleason used to have a saying, how sweet it is. And yet I, I think about what the Lord has done. We're going to be in heaven. We're going to be with the Lord because of what He did for us. 
Heaven would not be possible were it not for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Isaiah said in Isaiah 53 that God laid on him the iniquity, listen to him, of us all. You and I would have no hope were it not for the sinless Son of God living and dying on a cross for our sins. And so when we step out into eternity, I think about as the years go by, as the ages roll on, we will reflect over and over again about how sweet the Lord was to save us from sin. Because if it were not for Jesus Christ, we would have no hope and there would be no heaven. So these are some things that the righteous will think about. But what about the unrighteous? You know, the Bible says concerning the rich man and Lazarus that the rich man, he had enjoyed good things on this earth. And Abraham had said, son, remember, think about this. You know, just as the righteous can think about some things in life, the unrighteous, they too will think about some things in eternity. What about the unrighteous? Several things come to mind. Number one, I think about how there will be people in eternity. They'll be in this place that is called torment. Because you see, Abraham said, you are tormented. Now in 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter identifies the abode of the unrighteous as a place called Tartarus, T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S. And it is for the unrighteous. But what about the unrighteous? Well, the first group of people that I think about are those who procrastinated. There will be any number of people in eternity who were procrastinators. Their mentality was, don't do today what I can put off until tomorrow. Let me give you a classic example of somebody who was a procrastinator. In the book of Acts chapter 24, in verses 24 and 25, we read of Felix and Drusilla before the apostle Paul. And Paul had the opportunity to preach to these people. And the Bible said that he reasoned with them about righteousness, temperance, or self-control, and the judgment to come. And after having the opportunity to plead his case before these people, you know what Felix said? Go your way. And when I find a more convenient time, I'll call for you. There are going to be a lot of people in eternity, I'm afraid, that they had many opportunities to obey the gospel. And maybe you're listening to this lesson and you have thought over and over again about obeying the gospel or maybe being restored. But your thoughts, I'll wait to another day. Who's to say whether or not we'll have another day? James said we ought to say if the Lord wills, we'll do this and that. A lot of people in eternity who will be in that place called torment. And they'll think about all of the opportunities that they had to obey the gospel, to be restored. And they said no. 
Let me give you another class of people. The prodigal. In Luke 15, we read about the prodigal son who went out into that far country and the Bible says he wasted his substance on riotous or profligate living. A lot of profligate people in eternity. I suspect that there are a lot of people in eternity as we speak right now that at one time had been faithful, productive servants in the kingdom of God. But something happened. Maybe because of tribulation or persecution, they left the faith. Maybe because of the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, the word of God was choked out in their life. What about you? Can you imagine the haunting, searing thought that you had it all in the palm of your hand, that you had been a faithful child of God, and you walked away from all of that? And guess what? You've got all of eternity to think about it. That's what the unrighteous are going to think about. Some, because they lived the life of a prodigal. Others, because they were procrastinators. And then some... Because they chose to live a profane life. Maybe because they chose to accentuate this idea that life is a party. You know, there are a lot of people in our world today. They think life is one big party. And so it's all about what they can do to bring immense pleasure to themselves. And so it's all about how much alcohol they can consume. It's all about drug usage. It's, it's, it's all about immorality. It's all about what they want in this life. Let me tell you what. They're going to be a lot of party goers. They're going to be a lot of partiers in hell. And I doubt they're going to be wishing they had another drink. They might wish for a cup of water. But they're not going to be wanting a glass of wine. A shot of tequila pina colada, or a cold beer. The Bible says that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Life is not one big party. And there are going to be a lot of people in eternity that sadly are going to have to come to that, that sobering reality. Let me give you a fourth class of people that could be defined as unrighteous. And these are people that I would call phonies. You know what a phony is? A phony is somebody who's not what they claim to be. They're a counterfeit. Jesus talked about some counterfeits in his day in Matthew 23. He delivered a series of woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. And here's what he said in verse 3. He said, they say and do not. Now here's what it means to be a phony in our day and time. It means to be a counterfeit Christian. We say all the right things and maybe outwardly we do all of the right things, but internally there's something amiss in our lives. And Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 23. He said, outwardly they appear righteous before men, but inwardly they are full of all uncleanness. And iniquity. 
There are going to be a lot of hypocrites in hell. They're going to reflect back over their lifetime and how they, they did a good job talking the talk. The problem was they didn't walk the walk. You see, it's one thing to talk the talk. It's another thing to walk the walk. And there are going to be a lot of people in, in this place of torment. They're going to wish that they could go back and do things over. Let's move from that and think, thirdly, of some who will be merry. That is, they're going to be merry because they're in this place called paradise. Now in Luke 16, we read about the death of Lazarus. And the Bible tells us that he was in the bosom of Abraham and that he was comforted in that place. And there are a couple of things that I want to share with you about paradise. In Luke 23, 43, Jesus said to one of the thieves, Today you will be with me in paradise. That's the abode of the righteous. Those who have lived a godly life in Christ Jesus, who have served the Lord faithfully, when they die, they go to paradise. And ultimately, they have the hope of heaven. They'll be with the Lord forevermore. But what about stepping out into eternity in this place called paradise? What do we have to look forward to? Why is it a place of merriment? Well, number one, because we are comforted. Here's what John said in Revelation 14, 13. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yea, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. I mean, once we step out into eternity and we're in that realm called paradise, we're now at rest. We've laid aside all of the trials and the tribulations and the difficulties and the heartaches and the sorrows of this life. Those things will no longer be a thorn to us. They're gone. And so we're at comfort. But not only are we comforted, but I believe that in paradise it will be a place of cheerfulness. When Paul wrote to the, to the saints in Philippi, he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. In verse 23 he said, to depart and be with Christ is far better. Now just think about this for a moment. When we step out into eternity and we're with the Lord, can you imagine having the opportunity to reflect upon the fact that we made it? I mean, that all of our hopes and all of our dreams and all of our aspirations have come true. Our labors, our services in the kingdom of God are being rewarded. We're now with the Lord. Just think about sitting down and thanking God that we made it. That we're, in, that we're in the presence of God. When Paul compared life to death and, and contemplated the fact that he would be with the Lord, he said it's far better. Just think about Paul standing before Nero Caesar and Nero telling him he's going to behead him. I just imagine that Paul had a smile on his face because he knew he was going to be with the Lord. It'll be a place of cheerfulness, but also a place of companionship. The rich man, he was worried about his brothers coming to where he was now residing. 
The other side of that coin is that those who have lived a righteous life, who have lived a godly life, we're going to go home and be with people of like precious faith. In Genesis chapter 25 at verse 8, the Bible talks about Abraham. Abraham is called the friend of God. And the Bible speaks in that context of Abraham dying. His wife, Sarah, had already died. He had taken to wife another lady. But in Genesis 25, verse 8, the Bible speaks of his death. And the Bible says that he was gathered to his people. Now, he's not talking about Abraham being buried by, beside Sarah. But rather, he's talking about Abraham being reunited with God's people. One day, you and I are going to be with those people that we have loved in days gone by. You and I have all suffered losses in this life. We've buried loved ones. And joyfully, we've buried people who were in Christ. And I stand here today to tell you that those people are with the Lord. And one day, we will be with the Lord and we will be with them. We'll be with our loved ones again. And to me, that suggests the companionship that we'll enjoy in this place called heaven forevermore. Now, before we conclude, let me also suggest that while there are some who will be merry, who will be in paradise, there are some who are going to be in misery. And that is, they're going to be in pain because they chose a different life. Look at verse 25. The Bible says that Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. And now he is comforted, and you are tormented. What about this place of misery, this place of pain that Jesus describes in Luke 16? Let me just offer these suggestions. Number one. The depth of pain. You know, there are, there are times in life when we experience pain. Several years ago, I injured my neck. And I went several months before I had anything done surgically to repair the problems in my cervix. And I got to the point where I was taking painkillers on a regular basis. And those painkillers didn't phase the pain. And I hurt so badly, my stomach would oftentimes be nauseous. Now maybe you've experienced similar pain, but let me tell you what, that doesn't hold a candle to the depth of pain people will experience in this place called hell. You just can't imagine the sheer pain of this place. I do not believe that I have the verbal artistry to, co to convey to you the depth of pain that people will experience in this place called torment. It's beyond my vocabulary. And you need to think about that. Not only do we think about the depth of pain, 
but also the distress, the haunting, searing thought that you're here forever. And not only are you here forever, but possibly there are others who are here because of you. One of the most frightening things that I can think about of missing heaven would be to reside in hell. Or to step out into eternity, into this place that is defined as Tartarus, the abode of the unrighteous. And to have people surround me and to look me in the face and to say, we're here because of you. As a father, will your children be in hell because of you? As a mother, will your children be in hell because of you? As a grandfather or grandmother, will your grandchildren be in hell because of you? Just as it is likely you will take people to heaven with you. The other side of that coin is, if you live like the devil and you go to spend eternity with the devil, you're probably going to take some people with you. And in all probability, where you are, your children and grandchildren will be as well. You want to talk about distress? To know that not only are you there, but loved ones, people that you loved, with every fiber of being that you had, they're there as well. That ought to sober our thoughts. But then also, what about the detainment? Now, there are places that we go in this life, and maybe we don't like it. Maybe we, maybe we go to a, to a particular city or to another state, and we check into a hotel, we don't like the accommodations, what do we do? We check out, we go someplace else. Well, let me tell you what, when you check in in this place called hell, you're not checking out. Once you get in, you're not leaving. Look at what the Bible says. In verse 26, besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to you. Once we get there, we're not going anywhere. Where are you going to be? Will you be detained in hell forevermore? And then finally, the duration. What we're talking about is forevermore. We're not talking about a year or two. We're not talking about being sentenced to a lengthy jail term recently. There was a gentleman who swindled billions of dollars out of investors. He is 70 or 71 years of age. He received a 150-year prison term. Listen, that's short in comparison to eternity. You would take that option in a heartbeat if it were offered in eternity, if your lot were hell. But you won't have a choice. You see, once you get there, you're there. Jesus said in Matthew 25, speaking of the unrighteous, that they will go away into everlasting punishment forevermore. So, in closing, here's the question. When your time is up, where will you spend eternity? Only two choices. 
And not only where will you spend eternity, but where will your loved ones spend eternity? Because I can assure you, just as surely as you and I are headed to eternity, those that we love and care about, they are briskly following us. And it may be the case that they will get there before we do. Where will you spend eternity? I want to encourage you today, if you're not a child of God, do not delay today what you need to do. Do not leave this building today without being baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. You will not be saved if you have not obeyed the gospel. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized will be saved. He that believeth not will be condemned. I would encourage you, I would strongly encourage you to obey the gospel. If you're here today and you're not a faithful child of God, I would strongly encourage you to repent. To make your life right with Almighty God. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Do not delay another day.